Amen. Amen. Good morning, Hillside. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. I trust we all had a Merry Christmas. Anyone uh, travel very far for uh, for the holidays? What's the furthest we've traveled? Anyone travel more than 500 miles? Okay, I take the cake. I was down in southern Oregon on the coast uh, with my fiance's family, and it was a good time. Um, and I made the long drive back on Christmas Eve, and it's uh, it's good to good to just celebrate family, good to celebrate love, uh, joy, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And um, so Christmas is a great time of year. As you can see, we still have our Christmas uh, stuff set up from our children's production, which was awesome. And uh, so if you had if you had kids uh, in the production, if your parents have kids who are in the production, uh, great job, uh, great perseverance for uh, bringing kids to practice, uh, set September. So let's give our kids and our parents uh, a hand. That'd, that'd be really cool. Not to change the mood uh, by any means, um, but though we live in a world that has much joy, has much peace uh, and love, uh, this this last week uh, there were also tragedies that, that happened around the world, uh, as they're happening uh, every day in the world in which we live. Uh, I, I just went on to Fox News this morning uh, to see that 11 people uh, died in Texas uh, last night uh, due to a storm. Uh, there was a stabbing in New York. Uh, There was a wildfire uh, that's destroying homes in California. Fifteen people died during a storm on Christmas Eve uh, in a tornado in southeastern United States, Um, let alone the wars and the rumors of wars. Uh, And those very things that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24, we begin to see those things uh, unfold as we're living in the last days. Uh, when it comes to wars and rumors of wars, uh, there's been a lot of movies that have been made uh, about wars, uh, and sometimes they, they, they glamorize war, but war is not uh, something that is uh, beautiful. Uh, it's sad. It's tragic. Um, and there's a movie that came out uh, in 1979. Uh, some of you may have seen it. Some of you may have not. Uh, it, was, it was directed by a guy by the name of Francis Ford Coppola. The name of the movie was Apocalypse Now, and it was about uh, the Vietnam War and some things that took place. Uh, and I'm titling this morning's message, as we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6, really through Revelation chapter 8. They've given me three chapters to cover, but we're going to kind of do a stone skip across them uh, today. But, but I've titled the message this morning, Apocalypse Later, Mercy Now. Apocalypse Later, Mercy Now. So if you're taking notes, uh, I just want to remind you that we are in the book of Revelation. We have John, uh, a prisoner on the island of Patmos uh, for his faith uh, in Jesus Christ, put there uh, for uh, an exile, uh, really to die there, but history tells us he doesn't die on the island and he comes back and he pastors a church uh, in Ephesus and a few other churches in Asia Minor. Uh, I will remind you, and we hear it every week, so we're just going to skim over this super quick, uh, but Revelation comes with a divine outline. Uh, John was told to write down the things which he sees, the things which are, and then the things which are to come. And so we have him seeing Jesus there on the island in the first chapter. Then we have the next two chapters talking about the church age. And now we are in, if we're looking at the prophetic timeline, we are in the future events, the things which are to come hereafter. Not only does Revelation come with a divine outline, but it comes with a blessing. 
And we are blessed when we read and study this book. So I just want to encourage you guys, uh, when you come on Sunday morning and you are hearing the teaching of the book of Revelation, and as we study it together, and as I hope, as does our pastoral team and the elders and the deacons, we hope we are all studying it throughout the week, uh, know that you are being blessed. And God, who is rich in his blessings, he blesses us uh, as we read this. So we pick up here in chapter 6. We've seen four seals uh, already open. We've seen the four horsemen uh, of the apocalypse. And now we are here uh, in verse 9 of chapter 6. And this is what it says. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Let's pray. Dear God, we, we love you. God, we thank you when we're reminded in this season of the, of the greatest gift ever given, uh, your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, God, we're reminded that Christmas is not just a holiday, but it is a rescue mission. And God, you sent your son so that we could have life and life eternal with you. God, I just pray that as we spend the next few moments going through your holy word, uh, God, that you would speak to us. God, that we would be encouraged, that we would be inspired, that we would be challenged by what your word has to say. And God, as we hear these words and the promise of blessing, uh, God, that we would be richly blessed. And, And God, I pray that these would not be my words, but God, you would speak through me. Anything that would be of me, God, may it fall on deaf ears, or I may not even be able to get it out of my mouth, but God, that your perfect word comes through. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to our hearts. God, give us your mercy. So God, we thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. In these two verses that I just read, we see the fifth seal, the fifth of seven seals being opened up. Uh, I will remind you that we are in what is prophetically Daniel's 70th seven, uh, uh, a time period that has been coined by a lot uh, of people as the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation really takes place in the second part of Daniel's 70th week. But we see here that we are in this time period uh, that is a future event where some things are beginning to take place on earth. Now in these first two verses, uh, where we see these martyrs uh, underneath the altar crying out for vengeance, it raises two questions in my mind. And, and, and I want to touch on these two questions real quick. The first question uh, that's raised in my mind is, who are these martyrs? Was the church not just raptured a few chapters ago? Uh, who are these martyrs? So that's the first question. And the second question being this, do people in eternity... Do people in heaven actually care about what is going on on earth? Do they see what's going on on earth? Or are they so caught up in heavenly awesomeness that they're just like, this is so cool, and they forget about what's happening on earth? So these are two questions that have been raised in my mind, and we're going to break these down briefly as we have a lot of text to get to this morning. So the first question is, who are these martyrs? Well, we are told in Scripture that these martyrs are martyrs that die for the Lord during the Great Tribulation. Martyrs who do not take the mark of the beast. That's 666 written on their foreheads. We see this in Revelation chapter 13, verse 7, where it talks about how the beast or the Antichrist will persecute and slay those who are the saints. So these are people who have given their heart to the Lord 
during this tribulation time. We also see this in Daniel chapter 7, verses 21 and 25. I'm not going to turn there now, but I would encourage you to go back and look at what the prophet Daniel has to say. Daniel chapter 7, verses 21 and 25, because let us be reminded that Daniel also prophesied about this time period. The, the reason why we call it Daniel's 70th 7, because Daniel has a prophecy in which he talks about the last days and the end times. Some would say, and some theologians would teach that we as the believer, we as the church, we go through this time period. We go through the great tribulation and that the rapture takes place at the end of the tribulation. And they have verses and whatnot that they base that off. Others believe that there isn't even a rapture, but we just go through and then Jesus returns. But I want to remind you today that First Thessalonians chapter 4 told, tells us that we were not appointed, we were not created for wrath. We were not created for God's wrath. We will face tribulation, we will face persecution, persecution, but that is persecution and tribulation from the world, not from God. And what we see here in Revelation is the world receiving tribulation and the wrath that comes from God. So be reminded, and and the book of Revelation points this out, that the church is no longer here at this point. So these are people who have given their heart to the Lord after the rapture, during the tribulation, and who lose their lives for their faith. We see this also in Revelation chapter 19, verse 2, those whose blood were shed uh, by the Antichrist. So, these are tribulation martyrs. The second question, do people in heaven, do people in eternity care about what's going on here and now? And actually, the Bible has a lot to say about this question. Four uh, points that I want to make on this real quick. This is like the mini sermon before we dive into the meat. Uh, people in eternity, they do care about what's going on here in earth. We see in Luke chapter, 5, uh, Luke chapter 16 that uh, people who are in eternity care about their lost loved ones here on earth. If you're reminded of, of the story of Lazarus and the rich man, when they both die, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom and the rich man goes to Hades and he looks over and he yells over to Abraham, hey, can we send somebody back to tell my brothers so they don't come and suffer this punishment and this torture that I am suffering? So people care about their lost loved ones. We see in Luke chapter 15 that heaven rejoices when a lost one is is found. We see in Revelation chapter 6 right here that these people, they want justice for the atrocities that were done to them on earth. And between Revelation chapter 6 and Luke 16, we see people in eternity genuinely concerned about the well-being and the welfare of their loved ones and those who are part of the body of Christ here on earth. So what is the application that we can pull from this? The application that we can pull, I think, is a good question that we should ask ourselves. Is heaven cheering you on? Is heaven cheering you on? If heaven is concerned, if those who are in eternity are concerned with how we, the church, are living our life, is heaven cheering us on? Well, yes, they are our cheerleaders and they're cheering us on. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. But are they proud of how we are living? And so I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's a good question to ask ourselves. Am I living in such a way that is making heaven that is making my loved ones who have gone on before me, but more importantly, that is making Jesus proud of me. And so I want to encourage us, let's live in such a way where Jesus is up there cheering us on. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Now we're going to jump back to the text because we have a lot to cover. We're going to jump now uh, to the sixth seal. 
The fifth seal was these martyrs under uh, the altar. And, and, and we didn't read, but verse 11 tells us that they were given a white robe. Uh, and, and they were going to rest a little while longer until the fullness of those who were going to give their heart to the Lord during the tribulation were slain. And this is what it says picking up in verse 12 through 17. It says, I looked and he opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, and the fig tree dropped its late figs when it was shaken by the mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and the islands was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? We see a lot of things taking place here. This this sixth seal is open, and some things happen geologically. Some things happen astronomically here on Earth. We see plate tectonics being moved, mountains being shifted, islands being rearranged, uh, people running for their lives, seeking cover, hiding in caves. What we see here is we see that God's wrath has come, and man is trying to hide and outrun the wrath of God. Uh, but friends... You cannot outrun the wrath of God. Luckily, if you've put your faith in Jesus, uh, his wrath was already shed on Jesus on the cross. And we now we can live in the freedom. And we won't be here during this time. But let it be known that we cannot outrun the wrath of God. We can't outrun the reach of God. If we're reminded of Noah, he tried to do that. He tried to hop on a boat and flee from God. Didn't end up so well with him. He was swimming with the fishes and ended up having to do what God had him initially appointed to do. So God's wrath is now on earth. Pastor Dave read a verse and, and, and he prayed and, and he was praying about the mercy of God. Uh, God is a God of mercy. He's a, he's a God who is rich in mercy, but he is also a God of justice. How could he be a loving God? How could he be a merciful God and a gracious God if he was not also a just God? And so we now are going to see God's judgment unfold on earth. Uh, But we're going to talk about God's mercy, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later when we get to chapter 8. So there's just a little trailer for what's going to happen down the road. We see here now, jumping uh, into this sixth seal, we see something take place on earth. Some wrath, some destruction that was foretold to us by the Apostle Paul in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles uh, with you, would you please turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And as you're turning, um, be reminded that, that, that God says throughout his word what his plan are. People like to say that Revelation uh, is, is a hard book to understand. There's lots of symbolism and lots of numbers. And if you look at it from just a surface glance, it can be somewhat confusing. But if we look and we let scripture interpret scripture, we find that the book of Revelation is actually pretty navigable. And now as we look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, this is what it has to say, picking up in verse 2. Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica, he says, um, now brethren, actually picking up in verse 1, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Lord or the day of Christ had come. 
Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So, what was happening in the church in Thessalonica, people were saying, hey, church, you missed the rapture. Bummer for you. And Paul's saying, no, no. Do not be deceived by word, by spirit, by letter. That day has not come yet. And he lays out that the day will not come until the falling away has taken place and the son of perdition, the Antichrist, is revealed. And then he goes on to say this. In verse 4 it says, Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. This being the Antichrist trying to replace God. And then it says this in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken away. Who's restraining the Antichrist? Well, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is alive and operating and living through the church. So when the Holy Spirit is removed and the church is caught up, that is when these things will then take place. And it says this in verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume and breathe of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So when the church is removed, when the Holy Spirit is removed and the Antichrist begins to do things here on earth, that is when God is going to unleash his wrath in what is the day of the Lord. We are living in the age of the church, and the day of the Lord is a forthcoming event. Chapter 7 of Revelation is going to take us into a place uh, where John kind of gets a behind-the-scenes look of some things uh, that are going to be happening uh, all throughout the midst of this of this seven-year period. We see uh, in this parenthetical pause, as Pastor Dave would put it, uh, a parenthetical pause, we see John gets a glimpse of some behind-the-scenes action. I'm not going to read uh, all of this for you because I know Pastor Dave's going to cover this more in-depthly next week and on Sunday night. So I want to encourage you, if you're not going to Hillside on Sunday nights, please do. It, it, it would be very beneficial. We go verse by verse through the book of Revelation. Uh, we do the more overview on a Sunday morning, and then we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter on Sunday nights. But here we see uh, in Revelation chapter 7 uh, that there are those who are sealed, who that the beast and the Antichrist cannot uh, hurt. And we see 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and lots of numbers, lots of symbolism, but it's pretty straightforward. There's 144,000 who are not going to be able to be uh, abused and persecuted by the beast. Okay, not much more to really say there uh, this week. There's going to be more as Pastor Dave dives into that next week. Uh, but we see in chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, something take place. And I want to read this to you. So if you have your Bibles, flip back over to Revelation chapter 7. And this is what it says, picking up in verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
So we see this multitude from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation here worshiping God. And the question is, is this the church? The church is in heaven. Is the church here worshiping God? What this actually is here uh, in, in chapter 7, we are seeing the fulfillment of what was said in chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. This is the fullness of those martyrs who have given their heart to the Lord during the tribulation time, now gathered together worshiping God in the white robes that were given to them with palm branches, much like as Jesus in his triumphal entry entered into Jerusalem, people were waving palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now we see these people waving palm branches giving praise and honor and glory to God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne, singing some very, very familiar lyrics. Many of our worship songs today have these very lyrics, blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever and ever and ever to the Lamb, to God. And so um, the practical application that we see here is these are the people who were just a few verses ago crying out for God's wrath and for God's judgment to come on the world. And they wanted vengeance. But now we see them praising God the Father. The practical application that I see here is rather than wanting and crying out for vengeance on those who persecute us, let us not do that, but how about let's pray for them. And and how about rather than seeking vengeance, we see the glory and the mercy of God and we praise God who is infinite in his wisdom and in his mercy and pray that that mercy then can be given to those who persecute us, those who are our enemies, that we should be, uh, rather than wanting vengeance on our enemies and wrath on our enemies, we should be praying for our enemies. That's what Jesus told us to do. He said, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And as we pray for our enemies, not only should we be praying for them, but we should be hoping for the best for them. That that, that they would find Jesus Christ. That they would receive salvation. Because, I don't know about you, but even my archest of nemesis, uh, I would not want to go through the wrath and the tribulation of God. And, And if we truly call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we should want everyone even to the vilest of offenders, to find salvation. We should hope for the best, the best being a relationship with Jesus Christ. We should believe for their salvation. Uh, It's the godly thing to do. Chapter 8 of Revelation, we see the seventh seal opened up. And this is what it says in verse 1 of chapter 8. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. We see that God is a God, as we look through scripture, that he is a God of love. That not only is he a God of love, but God is a God of justice and of judgment. Not only that, but God is a God of hope. The absolute expectancy of good to come. Uh, the, The future that we can have with him is a future of joy, of peace, of righteousness. Uh, But God is also a God of mercy. Um, And what we see here is we see heaven, we see God pause for a time. As heaven goes quiet and God is about to unleash his wrath on earth, the full wrath of God, as he's going to open up heaven and pour down his wrath on earth, we see here that God, um, what I see is God, he, as he's coming to the, the balcony of heaven and about to unleash wrath, he pauses. He pauses. And it says here that a half hour, heaven is silent. 
And what I see here is that God is a God of, of second chances. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of hope. He's a God of mercy. And he believes in humanity that we can still find peace with him. And, and, and though these people have given their heart to the Lord, he's still given one more chance. He's given one more chance. Are there any who are going to come to me before I unleash? We see that God is a God who believes in us when we don't believe in ourselves. He sees potential when we don't see it. He gives us second chances uh, and he's merciful. He brings beauty from ashes uh, even to the, the, the worst of the worst. We see Adam and Eve forgiven because God gave them a second chance. He was someone who could have just, hey, you broke the one rule I gave. I'm going to destroy you. But no, he gave a second chance. We see Abraham uh, getting a second chance. He tried to do what God had promised on his own. He said, all right, son of promise. My wife can't do it, so I'm going to have a son. And he has Ishmael. Uh, but no, God gives him a second chance. And he gives him uh, the son of of promise. We see Isaac has his sons Jacob and Esau. E- Esau, not the greatest of guys, but Jacob, he gets the blessing through deceit and, and, and deceiving his father. But Jacob is given a second chance and he becomes Israel. Then we see Samson, a, a, a guy who was supposed to judge and be righteous for the Lord, but he falls to temptation, but he's given a second chance. We see David time after again, time and time again, David messing up, but given a second chance. We see the nation of Israel, uh, this harlot, leaving God, coming back to God, leaving God, coming back to God, God's patience and God's mercy and God's hope in humanity. We see Zacchaeus, a guy who everyone thought was just the worst of the worst, and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to come hang out with you. He gives him a second chance. We see the thief on the cross. We see Saul, this man who's going to persecute, given a second chance and becomes one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen. Jesus saved you and I. And, 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 and he's given us a second chance. He's given us a hope and a future in him. So we ought to be merciful. We ought pray and we ought love those who persecute us. We see here that as heaven is silent, the angels begin to fill these censers uh, with, 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 with incense. And they're waving them around. They bring them on the altar. And what this is, is, is the prayers of the saints. Maybe, just maybe... As God is here standing and as heaven is waiting for God to unleash his wrath, maybe the prayers that are being offered are your prayers for friends who do not know the Lord, who if the rapture were to happen tomorrow are going to go through this great tribulation. And those prayers that are being prayed as you are praying for their salvation, maybe then during that tribulation time, the seeds that you plant... As you are faithful to plant seeds and share the gospel and pray for your friends, for your family members, for your coworkers who are lost, maybe those prayers are the prayers being offered up here in heaven and those prayers being answered and people giving their heart to the Lord even after the church and the Holy Spirit is removed. So I want to encourage us. We ought be people who pray for the lost. It's great to pray for blessing. It's great to pray for one another, for health and for healing and all those things. But we got to pray for the lost. And I'm so privileged, and you are all so privileged, to be a part of a church that cares about the lost. And we want to be a safe place. We want to be uh, a place of rest for the lost, where they can come and they can hear truth and how they can hear of the goodness of the grace of Jesus Christ. We are to be a people who are merciful. I have a little video that I want to show. And as we show this video, uh, I I, I just want to ask the question, and let's think about this question, uh, are you merciful? 
I'm going to go turn off the lights and if we can hit the movie. Are you merciful? Why? Because Jesus healed the sick. Because Jesus fed the multitudes. Because Jesus gave legs to the crippled. Because Jesus granted sight to the blind. Because Jesus opened the ears of the deaf. Because Jesus found prostitutes and tax collectors and drew them into the sphere of his love. Because Jesus touched the untouchable and loved the unlovable and forgave the unforgivable and welcomed the undesirable. Because Jesus even now saves the otherwise unsavable. Why? Because they deserve it. And loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, not because we met Him halfway, not because we took the proper steps forward and in good faith have elevated ourselves to the place of the deserving poor, but according to His mercy. We are here because Jesus Christ didn't say with cold indifference, give them what they deserve, they brought it on themselves. Jesus Christ is the mercy of God. And seeing us in our misery and need, He doesn't just feel for us. He takes the necessary action to relieve our distress. He leaves the eternal glory of heaven and the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. He condescends to us, lives among us, suffers like us, dies for us. Do you understand this? Have you experienced this? definition of mercy, if you were to look it up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it says this, kindness or forgiving treatment of someone who could be treated harshly, or kindness and help given to a person who is in a very bad or desperate situation. Uh, mercy, uh, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. If, if you were to turn in your Bibles real quick, there's a verse that I think everyone uh, should have memorized. Uh, it should be applied in everyone's life, but it is, it's the first few parts of Ephesians chapter 2. And, and, and we see in the first uh, three verses that, that, that Paul paints this picture of humanity completely lost in utter darkness, lost and, and, and trapped in our trespasses and our sin. Uh, but then two of the most theologically important words that have ever been written down take place. And this is what it says in verse 4. It says, but God, but God, we are lost in our trespasses, lost in our sin. We are destined to spend an eternity away from God, away from heaven in a very real hell, but God. It goes on to say, who is rich in mercy. 
because of his great love which with he has loved us. He saves us. It's by grace we have been saved. Not by works. There's nothing we can do. But God in his infinite wisdom saw fit that we could be called sons and daughters of Christ because he is rich in mercy. He looked at our helpless state, our very bad or desperate situation, and he gave us help. He gave us kindness. He could have treated us harshly, but instead he treated us with love and with grace. Jesus Christ is the mercy of God. Apocalypse later, mercy now. We should be a people and we should be a church that is thriving and abounding in mercy. Mercy to the lost. Mercy to the needy. Mercy to the hopeless. To, as this video said, the otherwise unsavable, the unreachable. Those who we have written off in our minds as people who are not worthy, but we ourselves are not worthy. But God in his richness of his mercy loved us. This is the gospel. That people come to Christ and experience his mercy. But not only just that, but then go on and rejoice in that mercy. With every tribe, with every tongue, with every nation. Just like it said there in Revelation chapter 7. That we would rejoice together. That we come together and we sing the praises of our God. Let us be a people who abound in the mercies of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to leave us with this quote before we go into a time of prayer and before the worship team comes back. But this is a quote uh, from one of my favorite authors. Uh, I I, I think he's one of the greatest writers uh, of Christendom. He's a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. Uh, And he has this to say uh, about the church. And he says this, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ, to make men little Christs. If the church is not doing that, then all of the cathedrals, the clergy, the missions, the sermons, and even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose for men and women to find and have relationship with Jesus Christ. So with all of this that we've been studying the last few months in the book of Revelation, as we're going to continue to study in the book of Revelation, there's a lot of things that are forthcoming. There's a lot of things that we can hunker down in a bunker and be like, ah, the wrath of God is coming. I better be ready. Everyone, poor you if you don't know Jesus. Or... We could say the end is coming. I got to get out on the front lines and share the love of Jesus. I got to get out on the front lines and share the gospel, the hope that has been given to me, the mercy that has been given to me, the grace that has been given to me, and I can go and I can share that. Let us all raise up in these last days because I believe that we are living in the last days. Whether Jesus comes tomorrow or he comes in 20 years, we're in the last days. And the church began to grow so rapidly during the first century because they believed Jesus could come back at any second. The second century, the same thing. Third, fourth, all the way up until where we are today. People have believed the Lord is returning. And if we 
take that to heart and we say, hey, the Lord is returning. Let's go be about our father's business. Let's see what God does. Because we truly are living in the last days. And Jesus said to his disciples, the field is ripe and it's ready for the harvest. It is ready for the harvest, but the laborers are few. Let's go sign our names on the work of laborers and say, hey, let's go do this. Let's go do this. I just want to remind this too. Uh, we're reminded in First Corinthians, as Paul was writing to that church there in Corinth, he said, I hear some of you say you're of Jesus. Others say you're of Paul. Others say you're of Apollos and Cephas. Um, but he wanted to remind them that though Peter might have scattered some of the seed and Apollos watered the seed, uh, it doesn't matter in the end because Jesus is the one who reaps the harvest. So we are tasked with planting the seeds. We're tasked with watering those seeds that have been planted. And let's continue to plant seeds because you never know. You never know. The seed that you plant might be watered by such and such, might be pruned by such and such, and it comes to fruition and Jesus receives the glory. So let's not waste time. Let's not waste any effort or energy, but let's go all out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is rich in mercy. And let's mirror and imitate that mercy to the world around us. Amen? Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the worship team back. Uh, and, and I'm going to invite you uh, to stand uh, as we're going to pray. Um, because I believe that uh, when the gospel is preached, there should be opportunity to respond to the gospel. And, and, and maybe, maybe you've heard this all before. Um, and, and it's something you believe and you hold true. Amen. Because it's the truth. Uh, maybe you've heard it and you haven't responded to it. Uh, today is your day to respond. Today can be the day of salvation. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing a message of hope, a message of mercy. Uh, Jesus has mercy for us and we can have salvation in him. So with every eye closed and with every head bowed, I just want to ask the question. If you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have never said, I am making the decision to follow Christ. If that is you, and today you want to know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that if you were to die this afternoon, that you would spend an eternity in heaven with Jesus and with the loving God. If that's you and you have never given your heart to Jesus, today can be that day. And if you want to put your faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us that we must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if that's you, with every eye closed and every head bowed, and just this act of faith, if that's you and you would want to receive Jesus, would you just let me know by raising your hand? Maybe you're here today and you've heard it. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you've been away from the church. Maybe when you were younger, you, you made a decision to follow Christ, but, but now life has just kind of happened. We've gotten caught up in the things of this world. Maybe we've just got caught up in the time we have and we've misused it and we've just got distracted. Maybe you've slipped away a little bit, but you'd like to say today that I'm living for Jesus. 
I want his mercy and I want to share his love with the world around me. If that's you today and you would like to recommit your life to Christ, would you just let us know by extending your hand with every eye closed and every head bowed? Amen. See that hand. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. The Bible tells us that if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved. And that no man can say that Jesus Christ is Lord without the Holy Spirit. And so, church, as just a statement of faith and the declaration of faith in Jesus Christ and in his salvation, can we just together say, Jesus Christ is Lord? Jesus Christ is Lord. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your mercy, for your love, for your grace that is so richly poured out on us. God, we thank you that you, God, that you have provided a way for us through your son. That almost 2,000 years ago, you came in the most humble of fashions. You lived a sinless life. You showed us how we can live to be righteous. And then God, you took on the cross and you shed your blood for us so that we could have a future and a hope with you. You forgave us of our sins, but God, death didn't hold you. Three days later, you rose. And in that resurrection, we have new life. It is your mercy fulfilled that now we, the vilest of offenders, can be made right with God. God, we thank you. God, we pray for the lost. We pray for our family, our co-workers, our friends, our classmates. Just under your breath right now, would you begin to just lift up the names of those who are in your sphere of influence who are lost, who you're praying that they receive salvation, that they receive the good news. God, give us your people the boldness to share our faith. Holy Spirit, fill us anew and do us with power from above to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. God, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. God, grant mercy. We love you. We praise you. In your son's wonderful and mighty name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen.